Father, in the name of Jesus, as we're gathered here right now, we're going to look into the subject of unmasking Islam. I'm asking you to speak through me what you want conveyed today, dear God. Help us to receive what you want us to receive and gain from these words what you want. And we praise you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to state up front. I'm talking about unmasking Islam today. I am not Islamic phobic. I have prayed with Muslims. I don't have the wrong attitude toward Muslims in a personal level. I don't like the doctrine. I'm establishing that right up front because I have prayed with Muslims. And I've worked with Muslims. But I want to establish this so you know when I say these comments, I'm not attacking the people in a personal level because I desire for Muslims to come to the Lord Jesus Christ the same way Buddhists to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the same way uh, Confucius to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. God loves all mankind. But we have to address the doctrine. The Lord wants us to be... When I was in the military, we had intelligence gathering for different operations if we were doing operations. And God wouldn't want us not to be ignorant of Satan's devices and other things that go amiss from his word. So with that in mind, understand I'm addressing doctrine and the things I say, I'm not attacking people personally because I desire, like God's desire is, for people to come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I've prayed with Muslims, like I said. I've sought Muslims out. I've got a testimony of ex-Muslims book. I have often even found Muslims, I'll give the book to them if they'll read the book, if they tell me they will. I was ministering in Colorado recently and I was outside a gate, and, and I had a Moroccan lady, Muslim, sitting next to me. I started a conversation up, and she told me she would read the book. So I gave her a copy of the Testimony of this Muslim's book. So I'm letting you know, I have a heart for all people. God has a heart for all people. So with that in mind, when I say some things that are strong, understand that is a caveat. I'm looking at the doctrine. Praise you, Jesus. So, as of October 2009, there are about 1.57 billion Muslims of all ages living in the world. In more than 200 countries of the world, that represents 23% of an estimated 2009 world population of 6.8 billion people per study done by Pew Forum. Numbers are on the increase in America if one is not noticed. Two plus two equals one. Now you can tell me five, six, seven, eight, ten, but there's a correct answer. God's word says that no other name which man must be saved but through Jesus Christ. And I've said it before and I say it again. You get to heaven through Jesus or you don't get there. So as Muslims will say that Muhammad was a prophet with further revelation from Allah or God, if it's a continuation of the Bible, then let's look at the Quran versus the Bible. By the way, the Quran was put together after Muhammad had died. He had made no provision. And so from recollections, things they had written down, they tried to put this together. And as a result, the way they put it together, you have the Shiites and the Sunnis today because one said to follow the teaching and the leadership, you have a direct descendancy. The other one said you did not. So you have that split and you see the differences today. I'm not going to go into that right now because I want to cover 
in the limited amount of time I have to give you the understanding as we kick over the rocks so more basic information provision here. The Bible says Abraham offered Isaac. We know that from Scripture. Well, the Quran says that Abraham offered Ishmael. Well, there's a difference there. Uh, the Bible says that the ark landed on the mountain of Ararat. Well, we see that. The ark landed on Mount Judy. I remember looking in the Quran, Mount Judy, J-U-D-I. That's not Ararat. I know the Bible says that the flood occurred during the time of Noah. Okay. Well, the Quran says the flood occurred during the time of Moses. How can that be? If this is further revelation. The Bible says Jesus was crucified. Well, the Quran says Jesus was not crucified. I could give you line item in comparison again and again. I just gave you a, a few. But there's numerous discrepancies of historical figures and time sequences out of whack in reference to the Quran. So I came to the conclusion, if God is the same one who wrote the Bible, inspired the Bible, then when he inspired the Quran, he must have been drunk. God, you must have been drunk when they did the Quran. Of course he wasn't drunk. I think Muhammad, who grew up, he was born 570 A.D. He died about 632 A.D. He was born in Mecca, Saudi Arabia, current day Saudi Arabia. Now, when he was growing up, I imagine he had a typical childhood. But at this location, and I've been in Jordan on the King's Highway, which was an old caravan route coming down through Jordan. And I think Muhammad would go and get information from this group that came through from these caravans. And from this direction, he'd get some information from another group. From another group, it would come this way, and he'd get more information. And he had a convoluted sequence in his mind of different names and periods, and so it's all out of whack. I'm just telling you what I believe occurred, because what you see in the Quran versus the Bible on biblical names and biblical figures just don't match. The sequences are all out of whack. As I established to look at the Quran, I'm going to read from the Quran today. But I like to lay a foundation so that we lay a solid foundation. As Christians, we know Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says, I'm just going to read, Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That every tongue should confess Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 1 John 4, 1 through 3 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets, many false prophets, many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming, is now already in the world. Galatians 1.6 says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon 
from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So we know there would be false prophets. We know there would be false teachings. We know there will be people claiming things that we shouldn't really be following, but many people are duped. I've said it before in one of the, or two of the meetings, what's more important, sincerity or truth? Truth is always more important because you can be sincerely wrong and go straight to hell. I don't care how sincere you are. You get to heaven through Jesus. It's based on scripture. I mentioned to you, Muhammad was born about 570 A.D., died about 632 A.D. His father died, to give you some of his background, because we look in the Bible to look at the life of Jesus. Well, if Muhammad is the prophet I'm going to state my eternal destiny on, I need to look at his life a little bit. You see, his father died before he was born. His mother died when he was young. He was sent to live with some rich grandparents. He was about 25 years old when he married a rich widow who owned a caravan. So he was somewhat well off at that time. His needs were being met. At about the age of 40, he proclaimed himself to be a prophet. He had a, a vision. And after that, he proclaimed himself to be a, a prophet or apostle. And when he did that, he was even... In the midst of it, he was talking to his wife, and his wife was saying, because Muhammad wasn't sure, is this of God or not? But his wife assured him, Muhammad, Muhammad, you're such a good man, this must be of God. So he says, I'm a prophet, I'm an apostle. Matter of fact, early in his leadership, he had his following bowing toward Jerusalem to get the Jews to follow him. But the Jews would say, no, we don't affect your prophethood. So then he reversed and had them bowing back toward Mecca. He was trying to court the Jews. You see, in this vision, we know that people can sometimes be affected by their parents and the spirits from their parents and generational spirits can be passed on. His mother, Amina, she claimed visions and religious experiences as well. Many people, if you looked at Amina's life, you'd probably classify her as one being involved in the cultic arts. So it's believed by many that Muhammad inherited these influences and spirit influences. You see, when Muhammad would get his divine revelation, he often also would fall on the ground, he sweat profusely, his eyes would roll back, they put a blanket on him, but he was showing all the indications according to scholars and theologians who have analyzed his actions. He was showing fits of epilepsy. Many people believe that to be the case, that he had epileptic seizures when he has his so-called divine revelations. But let's take a look at things and incorporate a couple stories as we proceed. In Surah 4.3, it says, and that's, Surah is like chapter in the Quran. And the Quran and the Bible as literary works, if you look at the Quran as a literary work, it doesn't even compare it to the Bible. The Bible is set apart much superior in writing and presentation and format. And remember this, I'm only giving you a little bit of insight. You can study this and get more information and more detail if we had more time. But I'm going to give you a little insight because I remember, and I started to do this for Sunday schools and a lot of churches I've gone to, because I remember even a couple years back, I was doing a seminar at an Iron Sharpens Iron Men's Conference in Davenport, Iowa, and I had a man come to my table looking at the testimony of this Muslim book, making a comment to me, we serve the same God, just under a different name, don't we? 
Nothing could be further from the truth. And if you have that attitude that Allah is Jehovah, you're wrong. The deity characteristics in themselves are totally different. And the presentation as the Quran and the Bible are at odds. Not the same God. I'm sorry, you can't convince me otherwise. Surah 4.3 says, as a good Muslim, you can have up to four wives. In 2007, I spent the whole year in the Sinai working with a multinational force and observer group. As an observer there, I would do liaison duties with Egyptian officer and Muslim officers. I would do some liaisons with some Israelis along the Sinai border with southern Israel. But when I was with the Egyptian officers, I often would ask them, how many wives can a good Muslim have? I already knew the answer, but I was leading to something. I wanted to get them to thank me. Now, obviously, policy was I had to be careful how much I could share because of higher directives. But I wanted to start planting seeds, at least at the very most, to point them to thanking things out for themselves. So one would tell me this, one would tell me this for consistently, the Egyptian officers, different ones I would have liaison with, would tell me, you can have four wives as a Muslim. Matter of fact, in the Sinai, I met one Egyptian officer who had a wife in the Sinai in his outpost area. Oh, he had a wife in Cairo or surrounding near Cairo when it was back in that area. So he had a couple wives. Now, as a Muslim, you're supposed to treat them right in the same way. You treat one the same way you treat the other. They'll tell you that. But see, I knew the answer. And they consistently gave me, you have four wives, so I would say to them then, how many wives did Muhammad have? If he's God's prophet, if he has received revelation from God, if the Quran is guidance to Muhammad, well, how many wives did he have? I already knew the answer. See, Ali Dasti said you can that uh, Muhammad has 16 wives in addition to that, concubines and slaves. Now, a concubine is basically a wife without wife. You got wife privileges, but not wife connection. So he had many women already following him or with him. Wives, concubines, slaves. I already knew he had at least 16 wives, like I say, or possibly more. Ali Dastri, a Muslim scholar. So I will talk to the Egyptian officers, and one Egyptian officer would say, H. And I'd get a different answer from another one. It wasn't consistent. But no matter what they said, I said, well, if you can have four wives, then how come you tell me Muhammad can have eight wives? If he is God's prophet, and he's following Allah's leading, why? I just want to know. I already knew the answer. It was wrong. But they would say, well, they were always justified with circular reasoning because Muhammad is, is so prominent in their belief system. Muhammad can't do anything wrong. So Muhammad was such a man of God, God gave him special privilege or whatever they would justify it with. But I'd get circular reasoning. You always support Muhammad in some way. Special privilege. That's just one explanation there. This is historical. As I look to the life of Jesus, I'm looking at the life of Muhammad right now. One of his unwise was Aisha. I remember I was in Sudan. I met a woman named Aisha. I knew she must be Muslim. Because one of Muhammad's wives was Aisha. She was about six years old when he married this girl. 
She was eight or nine when he consummated the marriage and he was in his 50s. You go to Afghanistan today in some outlying areas and some different locations. Matter of fact, it's in the news right now about child brides. You see some places in the Middle East, the child bride practice has not gone away. Well, their did that. What do you think exists today? So, matter of fact, she might have still been playing in dolls if she had been in the Western culture. We heard the term in the early 90s, the term holy jihad, which was religious fighting on behalf of Allah. There are different forms of jihad, but when we first heard it from the Desert Storm situation, we heard the term religious fighting on behalf of Allah. Force and violence was used by holy jihad to subdue the people. You see, when Muhammad started to put out his information, I'm a prophet, I'm an apostle, a lot of people weren't following him. They just weren't saying, okay, we accept that. You tell us you are, we believe it. So a lot of people weren't accepting that. So the ones that didn't follow him, he started to come up with this idea of jihad, where if you follow me and we subjugate the infidels and force our religion on them, then if you die as a martyr, then you go straight to heaven. A martyr's death. When you put that explosion, C4 or TNT, under that vest and go blow up that Jewish delicatessen, you go straight to heaven. Mustafa, you understand me? Suicide bombers. That's the mentality of jihad, dying for religious cause on behalf of Allah, in that form of jihad. And as a result, he was, that was just one tool to help spread. I think another reason Muhammad increased, he probably had a lot of charisma, but I think another reason he, in, reason he increased his following was this reason. When we take a village, he take this village, the ones that followed him would get some of the booty, fill my pockets, fill my pockets. Maybe they get wives and slaves too. We're going to get some booty if we follow this guy. Two things that marked Muhammad's life, if you study this man, were women and greed. Devices Satan has used throughout years and years and years of practice. So the religion was spread by the sword early on. You can't get away from history. Sorry, Mr. Politician. I know you just said Islam is a peaceful religion. Now, that being said, I'm appreciative of many moderate Muslims not doing anything radical like ISIS or Hezbollah or Al-Qaeda or someone else. But what does their word say? Why do we have the groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda but we have some moderate Muslims that say we don't want to do that. Why do we have Christians that do the word and some Christians that don't do the word? Well, we always go back to the reference. As a good Christian, this is my guidance for living, the Bible. I should be doing what the Bible says. If I believe the Lord Jesus Christ, he wants me to be a doer of the word and follow his teachings. I'm to be discipled with the Bible. What does the Bible say? If I'm a Muslim, then I should honor the Quran and try to honor the, Muslim, honor the Quran. Now, another book, holy book with the Muslims is the Hadith. I read a, a synopsis of the Hadith, about a nine-volume version of Al-Pakari version. And the Hadith was wives, close friends, their observations of Muhammad 
and that was written down. After reading just a synopsis of this, this, you know, the hadith, I came to the conclusion how any intelligent Muslim could read the hadith and follow this religion was before. It just didn't make sense. There are so many outrageous things. It was just amazing to me. That being said, submit to Islam or else. The religion was spread by the sword and you can't get away otherwise. I mentioned child brides. Do you remember not but a few years ago they showed you these pictures from Egypt with the Egyptian Coptic Christians with bags on their head and Muslims behind? Submit to Islam or else. Subjugate the infidels. I remember pictures throughout the United States on the news network being broadcast on that. We see beheadings still alive today. You go to the Middle East, beheadings still take place. Child bride practices still play, take place, beheadings take place. Muhammad used beheadings as well. But we need to get a concept of Islam. It's a way of life. It's a cultural religion. It's secular, sacred customs of the time and area brought into the religion. You see, there are no personal rights in 7th century Arabia. The one in the tribe had absolute authority, and you notice that through the Middle East today with that kind of attitude, authoritative attitude in leadership. We will go by a church, and we'll see that cross, and we say that identifies with the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. A cross is very symbolic of Christianity. But when I go through that mosque, I see that crescent moon. Hmm. I see the minaret. I see the crescent moon. I look at Pakistan flag. I look at Turkey flag. I see the crescent moon. We say, we see something from emergency ambulances, the red cross on the side. I see the red crescent on emergency ambulances for Islam. What's the significance of the crescent moon? I know what the cross means to Christianity. But what's the significance of the crescent moon? Well, let's go back in time and examine. The crescent moon was a pagan symbol. You see, in the pre-cultural time of Muhammad, there was a god. His name was Allah. He was a moon god. Allah's name was already in existence. Well, wait a minute, Michael. Just hold back there now. The Arabic Bible was translated... Uh, it was translated in, uh, the Bible translated in Arabic was uh, about 9th century time frame. And you see that God is said to be Allah. Well, this is where we need Paul Harvey again, the rest of the story. You'll see that Muhammad, who died about 632 AD, when 9th century comes by, and the Bible was being translated into Arabic, the translators were being told, you translate Jehovah put Allah in. The translators were pressured, you might say, Allah. Well, I can go to the Bible and I can see Dagon. I can see Molech. I can see Baal. I see Jehovah. I see no word Allah. If the Quran is a continuation of the Bible, then why'd you change his name? Just one pragmatic thought. Praise God. So the crescent moon in its descendancy in itself and Allah as a name, there's some indications there that I need to wake up and look a little bit closer. Doesn't seem to jive.
Let's look. We looked at Muhammad, but let's look at Jesus and Muhammad in comparison. You see, Jesus was pre-announced. We have scriptures that told of the coming of Christ, the Messiah. We see that Jesus was not a murderer. He was not a child molester. He was not a robber. He healed the sick and raised the dead. He did not use physical violence to coerce. Not so Muhammad. Later in life, he believed himself to be a prophet, and he proclaimed himself to be a prophet. All right? Well, let's just look at history. One Jewish village alone. Remember I talked about the practice of beheading? One Jewish village, after he took, seven, after he took care of the wives and, and children and put them in slavery, concubines, whatever he did, he had 700 to 1,000 Jewish men beheaded. I wanted to give you that example because beheading was very practical for him to do. He would take village after village, and the men would, of course, to get the booty. Let's get on this guy's wagon train. We're going to take some wealth if we follow him. So his following increased. In the Quran and Surah 33, you'll see Zaid, Z-A-I-D, was an adopted son. I'm looking at your book. We're looking at the book. We're just looking over the Quran, what it says. Surah 33, you take a look. It deals with the story of Zaid, Z-A-I-D. Rich, I'm good. I'm good on that. I'm good. I've got some right here. Thank you. Z-A-I-D. He was an adopted son. What, suppose, what seemed to happen, I don't know if it was her veil came undone or whatever, but Muhammad wanted his adopted son's wife. She must have been beautiful. Now remember, he's got a lot of, a lot of already a lot of women in his harem anyway. But he was adopted son's wife. I want her for a wife. Zaid said, no, 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 I love her. I don't want to give her up. The woman said, no, I don't want to go either. I want to stay with Zaid. Muhammad gets a divine revelation. And he takes the woman from his adopted son. I'm trying to just give you a comparison and take a look at some things in reference to character. If I'm going to stake my following on this man in eternal life. I'm going to read from the Quran. I read from the Bible to lay a foundation. I want to read from the Quran in comparison. These people who say we serve the same God just under a different name. What does the Quran say about Jesus? In Surah 4, 157. Again, Surah's like chapter that they said in boast. I'm reading from the Quran right now. We killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the messenger of Allah, but they killed him not, nor crucified him, but was made to appear to them. And those who differ therein are full of doubts with no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to follow. For of a certainty, they killed him not. The Quran right there says, Jesus wasn't killed. Only conjecture. Surah 517. And blasphemy indeed are those that say Allah is Christ, the son of Mary. Surah 572, they do blasphemy who say Allah is Christ, the son of Mary, but said Christ, O children of Israel, worship Allah, my Lord and your Lord, whosoever joins other gods with Allah, Allah will forbid him the garden and the fire will be his abode. These will for the wrongdoers be no one to help. Surah 573, they do blasphemy who say Allah is one of three in eternity, for there is no God except one Allah. Muhammad could never understand the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
Muhammad could never grasp that in its monotheistic belief system. There's Allah, and that's it. If they desist not from their word of blasphemy, verily a grievous penalty will befall the blasphemers among them. Surah 575, Christ, the son of Mary, was no more than a messenger. No more than a messenger. You talk to a Muslim, they'll say, yeah, we believe in Jesus. Yeah. So a Christian who talked to a Muslim, believes, they believe in Jesus? They believe no more than a messenger or a prophet. That's it. Nothing more. We believe that he raised from the dead for our justification. That's more. And there is deity in Jesus. No more than a messenger. Many were the messengers that passed away before him. His mother was a woman of truth. They had both to eat their daily food. See how Allah doth make his signs clear to them? Yet see in what way they are deluded away from the truth? Surah 9.30. The Jews call Urza a son of Allah, and the Christians call Christ a son of Allah. That is saying from their mouth in this, they but imitate what the unbelievers of all used to say, Allah's curse be on them, how they are deluded away from the truth. What does the Quran say about heaven? We saw what it just said. I've just given you a few things about Jesus. What, does, what are some of the teachings about heaven? I think actually a lot of these things I'm about to read from, he came from the Persian influence. Remember, he had influences from different caravan routes. And I think there was a Persian influence to some of this. And especially when you get into uh, some of the spirits and the fairies. That's a subject in itself. But on heaven, let me read from the Quran. 517 through 20. Surah 517 through 20. As to the righteous, they will be in the gardens and in happiness, enjoying the bliss which the Lord has bestowed on them. And the Lord shall deliver them from the penalty of fire. To them will be said, Eat and drink ye with profit and health. Because of your good deeds, they will recline with ease on thrones of dignity arranged in ranks. And we shall join them to companions with beautiful, big, and lustrous eyes. He's talking to men. Surah 52, 22. And we shall bestow on them of fruit and meat anything they shall desire. Surah 56, 31 through 37. By water flowing constantly in fruit and abundance. Whose season is not limited nor supply forbidden. And on thrones of dignity raised high. We have created their companions a special creation and made them virgin, pure, and undefiled, beloved by nature, equal in age. Surah 78, 32 through 34. Gardens enclosed and grapevines and voluptuous women of equal age and a cup full to the brim. If Hugh Hefter was a Muslim, he would be quite satisfied. It's going to be one big party for the men. What about the women? What do the women have to look forward to? In that Testimonies of Ex-Muslim book, I purposely put on the back cover the blue burqa ladies on the back of the cover. I did that for a reason. And all those pictures on the Testimony of Ex-Muslim book came from Afghanistan. But I put them on the back because someone will say, well, women aren't second-class citizens. I happen to differ. The first time I was in Afghanistan, I look over the wall. I see the Muslim walking with his wife in the blue burqa, walking behind him dutifully like a donkey. And I said, I don't have to know much about that religion to say something is wrong here. Something is wrong with what I was viewing. Women do not have the class, even in the hadith. 
When Muhammad, I'm using the Hadith. Even the Hadith, Muhammad, when he had a vision of hell, so to speak, most of the people there were women versus men. He also believed that women had half, had half the intelligence of a man or things of this nature. You could see it in his, his viewing. And women are not in the same classification as a man in that culture. So some of these colleges where a woman will marry a Muslim and go back to that culture and that area, I really believe you better think twice. And Christians marrying Muslims, you're not to be unequally yoked. You don't serve the same God. Nothing intended by that. You have a decision to make and it's opportunity. But don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. A lot of time, women will go to that culture and once you get it back into that family, then somehow personalities seem to change and rights seem to change. What does the Quran say about Jews and Christians? I mean, we have such immigration policies today. Last session, I talked to you a little bit about global elitists. This Islamic immigration policy that you have seen in existence with non-vetted Muslims throughout the world, you know globalist policy. You know why? Go to Sweden. Go to Denmark. Go to France. Go to England. Go to Germany. Go to the United States. The populace are saying, we don't want that. But the governments are saying, you're going to take it anyway. We're going to force it on you. That's a globalist policy. And Christians, we've got to look at the world today through spiritual eyes and spiritual connotations because there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. There is no third kingdom, folks. You're living in one of these two kingdoms. Welcome to planet Earth. You're in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. Now, we want you to transition to the kingdom of light if you're in darkness. But you're in one of two kingdoms. And this is a globalist policy. This is by design. I often thought to myself from some of these Middle Eastern wars, why don't you take somebody from that culture with the same customs and the same languages and resettle them in other similar countries? Why bring them all the way to the West with different cultures? They're trying to attack Christianity in different ways. When you get a conglomeration of different cultures and different practices, well, anything goes. we got to please all people. You Christians better get in line and accept these teachings. They've got a design to do what they're doing. So anyway, let's get to Jews and Christians. And this is why I say, Mr. Politician, are you listening? In Surah 551, Oh, ye who believe, take not the Jews and Christians for your friends and protectors. I'm reading from the book. I'm reading from your book. The Quran says, take neither Jews nor Christians as your friends. Huh? And I have such a... In now, we want to reach whoever we can reach, but I'm talking about their motives and what they're trying to do. You understand what I'm saying? Sharia law and the Constitution don't mix, like oil and water. Sharia law ties into Islam and their way of judging and law. And a woman with Sharia law... You don't, if you grew up in the West, miss, I'm telling you now. But take neither Jews nor Christians for your friends and protectors. They are but friends and protectors to each other. Right there, take neither Jews nor Christians for your friends or protectors. That's strong, Mr. Politician. Real strong. 
Among he among you that turns to them for friendship is of them verily Allah God hath not a people unjust. Surah 4.46, of the Jews, there are those who displace words from their right places and say, we hear and we disobey and hear what is not heard in Rana with a twist of their tongues and a slander to faith. If only they had said, what we hear and we obey and do hear and do look at us, it would have been better for them and more proper. But Allah has cursed them for their unbelief, and but a few of them will believe. Surah 2.120, never will the Jews or the Christians be satisfied with thee unless thou follow their former religion. Say, the guidance of Allah, that is the only guidance, wert thou to follow their desires after the knowledge which hath reached thee, then wouldst thou find neither protector nor helper against Allah. Now understand, I'm saying it again. I appreciate modern Muslims that aren't doing some of these things, but that's what their book is saying. I'm reading their book, their reference that should be for living. The same way a Bible should be a reference for a Christian to live. Violence. We see that in some circles that it's proclaimed to be a peaceful religion. Well, what about violence? Surah 9, 27. I'm reading from the Quran. Fight those who believe not in Allah, nor the last day. Hold that forbidden which hath been forbidden by Allah and his messenger, nor acknowledge the religion of truth, even if they are of the people of the book, until they pay a jizr, which was a tax, with willing submission and feel themselves subdued in retreat. Surah 495. Not equal are those believers who sit at home. You moderates, not equal are those believers who sit at home and receive no hurt, and those who strive and fight in the cause of Allah with their goods and their persons. Allah hath granted a great hire to those who strive and fight. Al-Qaeda, are you listening? You're getting a great hire to those who strive and fight with their goods and persons than to those who sit at home. Unto all in faith hath Allah promised good. But those who strive and fight, he distinguished above those who sit at home by a special reward. Surah 8, 65, O prophet, Rouse the believers through the fight, Muslims. If there are 20 among you, patient and persevering, they will vanquish 200. If 100, they will vanquish 1,000 of the unbelievers. Guess who the unbelievers are, folks? If you're not a believing Muslim, you're an unbeliever. For these are people without understanding. Surah 9, 123. I'm just reading from the book. That's all I'm doing. Oh, ye who believe, fight the unbelievers who gird you about. And let them find firmness in you and know that Allah is with those who fear him. Surah 2, 193. And fight them on until there is no more tumult or oppression. And there prevail justice and faith in Allah. But if they cease, let there be no hostility except to those who practice oppression. Surah 9, 5. But when the forbidden months are passed, and fight and slay the pagans, wherever you find them, and seize them, beleaguer them. You're not a Muslim, guess what you are? Beleaguer them and lie in wait for them in every stratagem of war. But if they repent, you Coptic Christians, if they repent and establish regular prayers and practice regular charity, then open the way for them, for Allah is off forgiving, most merciful. I'm reading from the book, is all I'm doing. So how do you get saved? As a Christian, we believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross for our redemption. We're receiving as Lord and Savior, receiving what he did for us. But as a Muslim, you hope as a good Muslim, unless you go for a martyr's death and go straight to heaven, as a good Muslim, you hope, if you practice these five pillars of Islam, that Allah will let you in. You hope he will. But you're not necessarily guaranteed. You have to pro proclaim no true God except Allah, Muhammad, his messenger. Prayer five times a day, you practice. You know the Muslims, when they bow on mats toward Mecca, 
you're supposed to face Mecca. Wherever you are in the world, face Mecca. You go on a fasting of the lunar calendar, Ramadan, where you fast uh, for, for a month based on the lunar calendar. Allah, moon god, remember the crescent moon? Lunar calendar. You practice, uh, let me indicate to you, the same five practices of prayer time and the same month of fasting on the lunar calendar in the pre-cultural time of Muhammad, you had the Sabaeans who did the same practices. There's indications that Obama, uh, excuse me, there are indications, excuse me, there are indications, okay, excuse me, yes. There are indications that Muhammad took from these practices and he put it right into the religion. They were already in existence. You alms and charity given to the poor, that's noble. And pilgrimage to Mecca. Well, let's talk about that pilgrimage to Mecca. Pagans made pilgrimage to Mecca, ran around the Kaaba, kissed the black stone, and ran to the nearby Wadi Mina to throw stones at the devil. Pagans were required to make at least one's pilgrimage during one's life. Pagans also bowed towards Mecca. All right? A lot of existence of all these things already taking place that Muhammad incorporated into this religion or way of life. It's a way of life encapsulated. So I think that one thing that shows the validity of the Bible, because I remember when I was leaving Afghanistan the second time, I went up to Turk village with interpreters. We had interpreters that would translate for Pashtun or Dari in translation when you're working with the Afghan nationals. And I went to Turk Village before I was leaving. I knew I was leaving, and I wanted to share with them some, some information, uh, at least at the very least, because I, I wanted to discuss with them and whatever I could do before I was leaving, because I work with these guys. But no matter what I shared to my beliefs and what I was trying to convey, one after the other, I would get the standard answer. The Bible is corrupted. The Bible is corrupted. No matter what I would say, I always got the answer. The Bible is corrupted. The Bible is corrupted. Well, I go to the Dead Sea Scrolls. In Qumran, 1947, in Israel, they were found. These were manuscripts dating before Christ. And basically, what you have from these manuscripts is how the word was preserved to what you have in your modern-day Bible. You know, there's different translations. Got it. But in essence, the word was preserved. That's what I'm trying to convey. God preserved his word. Also, in the first century from the time of Muhammad you know, 570 A.D., you're going to see that there's a lot of indications that the crucifixion and resurrection took place. It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a believer, if you really look at it. And that's one reason I did that bulletproof book on a layman's version to really realize that God is true. The Bible is true. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So there's a lot of indications that that that, 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 that Jesus Christ was who he said he was and raised from the dead and the Bible was not corrupted like they were saying or trying to say versus what you have in the Quran. The differences are, are, are extensive. Extensive, extensive. Can't be the same God. Muslims will say, maybe they'll go in the prisons of America today and they'll say to somebody lonely who's been in prison, who doesn't have a family or visitors, well, as they share with them, the comforter did come. The comforter was Muhammad. But if you had any religious training in the past, you know because you read your Bible, the comforter was Holy Spirit. 
So the comforter is not Muhammad. We know that. We've got to go with the Bible. We can't take that kind of teaching. <sighs> Praise you, Jesus. I've gone into a black church. I remember talking about the black Muslim religion. For me, truth is what counts. You see, Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X, actually both of them, I think, their fathers were Baptist ministers. Elijah Muhammad was Elijah Poole previous to taking that name. But with the black Muslim religion, it's based on racism, folks. It's a religion based on racism, in my viewpoint. And if they try to tell you that the Hadith says Muhammad was white, or they try to tell you Muhammad was black, it's not because the Hadith says he was white. It's documented. Read it for yourself if you don't believe me. It's in the book. Muhammad also was a slave owner. Don't tell me otherwise. It's in the book. One of the most holy books of the, besides the Quran, the Hadith, a holy book of the Muslim religion. Attitudes here. I guess I have to close. There's a lot of attitudes here. But I'm going to tell you, the Muslims have a strategy. They will try to get political office. And you see it today in Congress. They're trying to change this culture. Be assured. And the global leaders know exactly what they're doing. I believe the global leaders are working with these groups. But I'm going to share a story with Mel Tari. He did the book Like a Mighty Wind. I think he was involved in the 60s in Indonesia. Indonesia has a lot of Muslim populace. And Indonesia, he said, God put on his heart, along with a couple other Christians, to go out to this outlying Muslim village and minister. Well, he went out there, and they were trying, and he went to the village. I don't remember the finite details. I'm summarizing, paraphrasing. And I'm going to about close shortly, folks. Bear with me. But as he was coming, he saw this Muslim chieftain that was dead for like three days. And they still had him on a platform. And the chief of the village. So God puts it on Tari's heart, go pray for this man. Now Tari and the Christians pray for the man. The man raises up. His spirit comes back in his body. Now whether you believe this or not, I'm just sharing the testimony. Talk to Mel Tari if you don't want to believe me. This is his testimony. But I go to the Bible for my reference. And my reference is, is uh, no one on the name which man must be saved but through Jesus Christ in the book of Acts. It says it very vividly. You get to heaven through Jesus, uh, you don't get there. Well, this man says when he was in the fires of hell, he says when these men married the Christians, that Jesus took them by the hand, brought them back. As a result, being down there, he said when he saw Muslims dying, they were going to hell's flames. When he saw Christians dying, they were going to heaven. And as a result, this Muslim chieftain along with his village, became Christians, became believers. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. So church, what's more important, truth or sincerity? Always is. Always is. Again, I want to reiterate, we're supposed to have good attitudes toward all mankind because Jesus loves all. He loves Mustafa. He loves whoever else in whatever culture. And he's willing that all that would come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So we are to minister in love and with wisdom to all cultures. So we can take advantage. Oftentimes, I try to take advantage 
I'll take my ex-Muslim book and I'll put it in the hands of Muslims if they'll read it. I've, I've gone into a mall in western New York. I was looking for Muslims. Now, I have to be careful when I'm over in the cultures in the Middle East approaching a woman by myself as a western man. But they're in my turf now while I still have my liberties and freedoms. I often will try to talk a little Arabic to them and then maybe I might have been in the country they were in to establish a little rapport. And sometimes I can go into greater details. I've had some stories of praying with Muslims in different ways. And I would, I, would, I would take the time. But if they'll read the book, I'll give it to them. I'll look for people to try to share the gospel. And we're to be his ambassadors to whatever culture God has put on our heart to minister to. So we can take advantage of these situations. But I'm highlighting some of these immigration policies because basically the global elitists have different attitudes in mind. You see? We take advantage of whoever we're dealing with because that's God's heart. But the global leaders, I'm letting you know how they think. Because they don't want Christianity to flourish. They don't like Christianity because they're in the kingdom of darkness, satanic inspired. Praise God. Bow your heads, we'll close. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we've gathered here right now just to look into uh, the, uh, the Quran and Islam, we've touched a little bit here, dear God. I pray people understand that we're looking at doctrine and theology here, how it differs, and Muhammad, his prophethood, versus what we see Jesus teaching here, and that Allah is not Jehovah, they are not the same deities, and he's separate as, as it would be, and they are not the same religion with the same God. And I thank you for it. Help us to receive what you want us to receive. We praise you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Anybody learn something today? Okay, I share that with a heart of love. I wasn't trying to be oppressive. I'm being extra redundant on this to make you understand that. It's the theology of the religion. It's wrong. It's not five, not six, not eight. Two plus two equals four. You get to heaven through Jesus, and the Bible stands as itself. The Quran is not a further revelation. Amen? Thank you.